Hi, everybody. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to greet those of you who are here and those of you joining us, all the sites and venues, uh, downtown, Fitchburg, Traditions, Gospel Fusion. A big shout out to those of you who are watching online and those of you listening to our podcast. Uh, to the Chinese speakers, to the Spanish speakers, and to everyone here and watching, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're so glad you're here with us. Now, 10 weeks ago, we started this series called Becoming. And um, we have been reading Jesus' the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, next week is Easter Sunday, as you know. And then the week after that, we start a new series on the book of Micah. So today is the 11th and the final sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, but here's the thing. The Sermon on the Mount is about who we are becoming. That's what the whole series is about. And so what we don't want to do is just have this be something we read for two and a half months, then we just move on. Okay, this is not something we move on from. Okay, so uh, as the host mentioned earlier, we created this tool, this, this kind of retreat booklet tool. I'm going to give it another plug. Okay, he, he did it earlier. We're going to do, do it again. Another plug. Download this, access this the QR code, get it, and use it. Use it by yourself, use it with others. Great time to connect with God, great time to give the Holy Spirit the space to help you become the person that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. So, Go ahead and do this. Go do this. Okay? This is important. Okay? This is good. Now, today we're talking about the ending, the concluding section of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, before we go there, there is a built-in problem with how we read the Sermon on the Mount. And we read it. We're reading it over the course of 11 weeks, which means we're pulling the, the sermon into pieces. Right? We read a little bit every Sunday. But that is not the experience of Jesus' audience. They heard it as one talk. It's less than 20 minutes, slightly longer than a TED talk. Right? So it's like, huh. So, so, so the, one of the keys to understanding the Sermon on the Mount, the bits and pieces, they all work together. They, they create an entire impression. They, they function together. So if you want to understand the Sermon on the Mount, read it as one sermon. Read it as one text, one talk. So that's what I'm going to do at the beginning today, I'm going to start by walking us through, reminding us where we've been in the series. All right? So, very first week, we learned that Jesus, he is all about proclaiming the good news of the coming of kingdom of heaven. And uh, if you remember, the backstory, right? What is kingdom of heaven? Well, this world is broken and in rebellion against God. And so God sends Jesus to start this kingdom of heaven on earth, a new community of people their job, their mission is to draw the world back to God. And then the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, is Jesus' proclamation of this kingdom. Which means, the Sermon on the Mount is invitation. Jesus is inviting people. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' gospel invitation. Now, how does Jesus invite people? What is the strategy for bringing people into the kingdom? Well, it's not by giving things people want. Here's some blessing. Here's some healing. Here's some prosperity. No, Jesus doesn't do that, but instead Jesus describes a radically reimagined way of being human that is empowered by the life of God. And Jesus says, that life is possible. That life is the life of the kingdom. Do you want it? Do you want it? And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So uh, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew 5. Turn to Matthew 5. Would you, I'm just going to scan our way through it. 
okay? I'm going to scan our way through it. So uh, Matthew 5 begins uh, with Jesus naming, it's called the Beatitudes. He names off a bunch of groups of different people, some people who are hurting, some people who are mourning, some people who are trying to do the right things, and other people are getting persecuted for it. And Jesus says to them, hey, hey, you guys, you are all blessed. You're blessed because you're invited to the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And why are they invited? It's because they do not like the world as it is. Remember, it's a new kingdom, a new king, new values, new ethics, new system. If you like the world as it is, you're not going to be that interested. And then Jesus says, okay, this new kingdom has a mission to be the salt of the earth and the, and the light of the world, right? But what, what he's saying is, hey, all these pe kingdom people, kingdom people, you have a job, you have a job. Your job is to show the world who God is and to draw the world back to God. Now, if that is the mission of the kingdom, then kingdom people, they must be different. They must act different. They must speak different. They must think different. They must emanate the very aura of God, which means they have to be superior to whatever's going on in the world's cultures. And then in the main body of the sermon, Jesus starts to describe what kingdom people should look like. Now, some of you came in and you picked up one of these. Okay? It's important to have on hand, but however, if you didn't, that's okay. If you're online and you don't have one, that's okay too. Go ahead and, and, and go to this QR code, and you will get, directly get one of these, a digital copy of this. Okay? So we're going to be walking our way through this, so uh, if you don't have it, go ahead and use your phone and do this right now. I'm going give to give, give you a few seconds. I'm going to pause. So you, I'm going to pause for you guys as well. You can hit pause, and we'll wait for you. Okay? And once you have a copy of this, if you can truly multitask, have a copy of this, have the Bible in front of you, and I'm going to talk. And you're going to see how they all kind of work together, okay? You're going to see how they all work together. Okay. So, that's all good? All right. Let's get started. So, in the, king, in the, in the main body of the Sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says kingdom people are like this. Kingdom people, they do not cut others down with their words. They use words carefully. They seek to reconcile broken relationships. You can see that as you move down the Bible, every section, right? This list is drawn straight from the Sermon on the Mount, okay? They seek to reconcile broken relationships. They honor God with their sexuality, body, and mind. They're committed to the marriage if they're married. They tell the truth. They respond to attacks with kindness that seeks to bring about the repentance of the person attacking them. They love and pray for their enemies. Oh, that's a hard one. They don't do spiritual things in front of other people for people's praise. They gain a spiritual reputation. They prioritize God's kingdom when they pray. They forgive. Kingdom people forgive others. They invest in God's kingdom with their resources. They manage their money wisely instead of it managing them. They care less about material things than other people. They see their own faults, and they don't judge others for theirs, and they help others overcome their faults. And finally, kingdom people are generous and hospitable. That's 
kingdom people right there. And what you need to do is you need to look at this whole thing as, as in its entirety. Okay, don't pull it apart. This is describing a life, an entire life. Okay? And Jesus says this is a life that has been restored by God. This is a life that image God. This is a life that has God's character. This is the life as it should be. What do you think of Jesus' vision? There are two ways of going wrong when we read the Sermon on the Mount. That's very typical. Two ways of going wrong. One is to do a massive guilt trip. Right? We look at this, we go, we can't do this. I mean, seriously, nobody here has got this, okay? Nobody's even close, okay? So we look at this and go, we can't do this. And so we, what do we do? We feel bad and we, we feel really, really guilty. Not helpful and not intended by Jesus. This is not meant to be a guilt trip. It's meant to be an invitation. Remember what the Sermon on the Mount is as a whole. It's an invitation to the kingdom. This is not an entrance requirement, folks. You don't have to be this to join the kingdom. No, this is what you're seeking to become when you join the kingdom. This is what we have to look forward to. It's exciting. It's inspirational. We're like, yeah, I get to live like this. Second way of going wrong. We look at this whole thing, and I don't know if you just, just kind of read through the way how Jesus talks about this. You notice he's not getting, giving you a lot of specifics. He's giving you principles, right? No specifics. That's because this is about the transformation of the heart. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. The problem with us is that we want to convert a transformation of the heart into a list of do's and don'ts. We want to ask questions like, um, so when do I have to do this? Or maybe a better question, when don't I have to do this? Right? And wh where are the gray areas? You know, like we want to ask those questions. We want to draw the lines and get really specific and nail it all down. Why? Why do we want to do that? What is underlying that mindset? We want to know where the line is so we can change our behavior just enough so that we don't have to change our heart. All right? This is about the transformation of the heart, folks. Don't turn it into a bunch of rules. Because the, because the Sermon on the Mount is not a call to adopt a hyper-strict list of rights and wrongs. No, the kingdom of God is an invitation to a relationship with Jesus. You cannot separate the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount from the person preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is about walking with Jesus. Okay, this is about a life with Jesus. You cannot live this unless you are soaked and steeped in the life of God. So if this is what you want, then choose to follow Jesus every day. Give him and the Holy Spirit the space to come into your life and help you become the person that he describes in the sermon. Now, if that's the body, the main body of the Sermon on the Mount, what do you think the final section is going to be? Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a call to decision. Jesus is calling you to make a choice. He says, look, I, I described to you the gospel. This is the good news for your transformation. This is the kingdom and the mission is going to transform the world. Time to make a choice. Time to make a decision. And that's exactly how the final section begins. Jesus begins with an imperative, a command. Es ilfate. Come on in. Enter in. Enter, come in, 
through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, a couple things to, 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 to pay attention to. One is that Jesus pretty much says that the kingdom is going to be embraced by the few rather than the many. So Jesus is just being realistic here, okay? Take a look at this. Do you think most people want this? Right? I mean, seriously, take a look at this. I'm not even sure I want all of it. <laughs> Do you think most people in the world want this? We have to arrive at the understanding that the gospel is not attractive to everybody. There's going to be many, 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 many people who look at this and say, no, this is not my ideal. This is not what I want. I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to, I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to honor God with my sexuality. I don't want to be godlike. I want to live my own life. Thank you very much. And these people will not, will not follow Jesus. We live in a world that does not want to be godlike. We want God's power. We don't want his character. Jesus is being real here. Okay. Jesus is being real. So the second thing we need to pay attention to then is Jesus says, look, you have all these people who are, who are, who are rejecting the kingdom. What's going to happen is they're on the road that leads to destruction. Yeah. And yes, Jesus is talking about hell. And to some of you, you may be surprised that Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. Um, now, hell is a big topic. Um, there's a lot to say about it. Um, Pastor Adam did a great sermon, fantastic sermon on hell back in the Rudis series last summer. So if you have questions about hell, go there first. We put the link to that sermon in our on our resource page. But today, I'm going to answer a, a question that I get asked the most, which is, why does a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? And I always tell people, that's the wrong question. Because that question is based on a faulty understanding of heaven. You see, in this culture, we think of heaven as being kind of like paradise. You get whatever you want. It's like, oh, it's awesome. And it's a reward for a life well lived. That is not heaven according to the Bible. The Bible says in heaven... We could become people like this. We become people like this. We like imaging God. We like following God. We become God's children. We see the world from his perspective. And we live with other people who like imaging God and want to follow God. And we do this for eternity. That's heaven. With that understanding of heaven, and now you see that there are many, many, many people in the world who would not want to go to heaven. Hell is the place for them. God says, hey, I am not going to impose on you with my presence. If you don't want to be with me, go somewhere else. One of my professors, uh, J.I. Packer, had this to say. Uh, scripture sees hell as self-chosen. Hell appears as God's gesture of respect for human choice. All receive what they actually chose, either to be with God forever, worshiping him, that's heaven, or without God forever, worshiping themselves. Those who are in hell will know 
not only that for their doings they deserve it, but also that in their hearts they chose it. Now, is hell a good place? No, it's not a good place. It is without the common grace that God showers upon this earth because God has withdrawn his presence from it. It is not a good place. But many, many people will choose it. They'd rather be there. John Milton in Paradise Lost has this famous quote, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. That is the mindset of rebellion. People are in hell because they want to, and Jesus says many, many, many of them want to. And so that's how this final section of the Sermon on the Mount begins. Jesus is entering, come into the kingdom. Oh, by the way, most people will not want to. Most people are not coming in. And then we hit a section that's a little unexpected. Jesus says in verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, a couple things to talk about in this passage. First thing, question number one, what what is a prophet? So a prophet is not somebody who predicts um, the future. A prophet is somebody who is a spokesperson for God. In the Old Testament, God frequently chooses a particular person and says, hey, speak to my people on my behalf. That's in the Old Testament. So that's a prophet. So a false prophet then is somebody who claims to speak for God but actually doesn't. Now, that's all in the Old Testament. What about today? Right? Like, like what would Jesus say is a kind of a false prophet of today? Now, scholars disagree on this, but generally speaking, um, Jesus is most likely talking about the leaders of the church. Elders, pastors, preachers, teachers, you know, people like me. Uh, so, that's the first thing to, to, to know about this. The second thing, to notice when Jesus says, hey, be on guard, watch out, is that Jesus is saying something very important about the nature of the people of God. Okay? Look, look, at, look at this command. Right? Jesus begins with verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Okay? Command, enter through the narrow gate. And the next command is, watch out for false prophets. Right? Enter, watch out. Be on guard. Watch out for, 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 for false prophets, for, for false teachers. Right? Who is Jesus saying watch out to? The people who have come in, right? This is not a command given to leaders, theologians, pastors. Oh, those of you who have theology training and systematic theology, and those of you who study Greek and Hebrew, oh, you need to watch out for heresy and false teaching. No. This command is given to everybody who walks through. 
Enter, watch out. There's an underlying assumption here that, folks, that kingdom people, kingdom people grow, they mature, and they gain the ability to figure out who God is and what he's about, and they're no longer entirely dependent on teachers and pastors and priests and prophets, and that they can tell if they are false. Now, this is new. This is different. You see, back in the Old Testament days, you have the people of God, okay? And then there are the religious leaders. There are the priests. There are the prophets. There are the sages. There are the Levites. And it is their job to teach God's people about who God is and how to live. And the people, well, they just follow these leaders. So two groups of people, leaders and then everybody else. But that is not God's ideal, okay? God wants something different for his kingdom, for his new kingdom. And so through the prophet Jeremiah, he had this to say about what's coming up. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. When you see the word Lord in all caps, that marks God's personal name, Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, hey, know Yahweh. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. What, what, what God's saying here is in the fullness of this new kingdom, when, when everything has arrived, everything has developed, then at that point, there'll be nobody preaching anymore. Nobody teaching the Bible anymore. I will be out of a job. <laughs> Why? Everybody will know God. Everybody will know God. That's in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. When everything arrives, everybody will know God. You won't need the leader types. But in the meantime, during this period right now of the church, when we have the kingdom of heaven on earth as a minority in a broken world, we, all of us, all of us, need to grow and mature to become the kind of people who know what God is about, and so we can recognize and watch out for false prophets. We need to be that people. So come on in and watch out. Be on guard. Now, what are we watching out for? How do we watch out? Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you, me, you evildoers. Okay. Now, there's a disagreement here among scholars. Some scholars say that, hey, this passage is really about every Christ follower. But I'm, I, I'm going with what I think is the better reading. I'm going with the scholars who argue that this passage here is actually continuing the previous passage, that is still about false prophets. Why do I think that? Well, number one reason right here. These people, they say, did we not prophesy in your name? Yeah, these are prophet, false prophets. This is the most straightforward reading of the text. Okay, and if this reading is correct, then this passage is not just not really talking about Christ followers, it's talking about the false prophets. And Jesus is still trying to help us understand how to 
be on guard. In the previous paragraph, it says, hey, the fruits. Um, good fruits, bad fruits, so watch out for bad fruits. And here, Jesus says, okay, people who do the will of my Father in heaven. Okay? So fruits and doing the will of my Father in heaven, that's how you tell false prophets, false teachers. Uh, well, what, that, what does that mean? This is where we get back. Remember, this is one talk. This is one sermon. This is Sermon on the Mount. What is the will of my Father in heaven? People who are becoming. Okay? People who get to know Jesus and is transformed by the Holy Spirit and become like this. How do you tell false prophets, false teachers? You ask the question, are they becoming what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount? Now, hey, just be careful here, okay? Not talking about perfection. Okay? I know the first thing you're going to be looking at, you're going to be looking at me, I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 ease up, okay? Not perfect, not perfect. We're not talking about perfection, okay? The leaders, the elders, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers of the church, we are broken, flawed people, but we are moving toward becoming because we know Jesus. And this is where verse 22 comes in. Verse 22, Jesus specifies what these false prophets look like. See, these people, they prophesy, they, they cast out demons, and they perform miracles. They seem to have God's power. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, right? Jesus, he speaks for God. He's a prophet. Jesus has power in the spiritual realm. Jesus does miracles. Yeah. No, but that's not the problem. The problem is they don't know Jesus. As a result, their life is not becoming. False prophets tend to be those who seem to have God's power but do not have God's character. That's how you know. And so here, Jesus is really trying to help us because he knows that the people of God, we have a problem. We're drawn to the powerful. We're drawn to the charismatic. We're drawn to the spectacular. We're drawn to, to people who talk a big game and do big things. And Jesus says, hey, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But before you look at that, look at their character. Are they becoming what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Look at their character. And so the Sermon on the Mount ends with two commands. Come on in and watch out. Or choose to be a people who are becoming what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and commit to grow in maturity so you can discern leaders who are becoming the people describe in the Sermon on the Mount. Come in and watch out. And then we get to Jesus' final section. This is his final pitch. And um, it reads like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I hope you already know that Jesus, Jesus is somebody who talks straight. He does not mince words. So he offends people left and right. I, on the other hand, I don't like doing that. I'm actually very fearful of offending people. And so this passage makes me nervous, but that's my problem. Uh, I'm not going to censor Jesus. I'm going to say what he says, but just I feel bad about it. Uh, (laughs) So here's what Jesus is saying. He says, look, the whole sermon, right? We're at the very end of the sermon. Here's the whole sermon. Here's, here's, Here's what the kingdom life is about. I've described it to you. Here's what's possible. You have this amazing mission to transform the world. You have an amazing way to be with me and follow me and be joined with me. So if you make the decision to follow and join the kingdom, you are smart. And if you don't, you're a fool. That's what Jesus says. There's that final metaphor there about building a house. He says, if you don't join the kingdom, you're a fool because you're building a house without foundation. And when the storm comes, and it's within the context of this entire sermon, is talking about the final judgment. Jesus says, your, your life is going to fall apart because you don't have structural integrity. So be smart. Don't be a fool. I hope you're not offended. That's Jesus' final pitch. And that's how the Sermon on the Mount ends. Um, it is, it is Jesus' gospel presentation, and it's unlike any presentation I've ever heard. Um, there is this bumper sticker um, that says, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. And if you have this bumper sticker, I just want to apologize to you right now in advance, because I'm about to criticize it, and I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. Um, but see, you see, The problem with this bumper sticker is that that it conveys that flawed notion that following Jesus is just about forgiveness. That following Jesus is just about me being forgiven, being reconciled with God, and I have eternal life. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel is about forgiveness, is about reconciliation with God, is about having eternal life. It's all of that. Right? It, it, it is awesome being forgiven. It is awesome receiving grace. The, King, the Sermon on the Mount talks about God's forgiveness. But there is so much more. We have to remember what the Bible teaches. Right? The Bible says we human beings, we are created as the ultimate creation, the ultimate act of creation. We are created to image God. We are created to reflect God's glory. We're created to be beings who can rule God's creation. And when humans rebelled, we lost all of that. So the problem with us is not just that we sin and need forgiveness. Oh, no. The problem is that our lives are shriveled up. Our lives are shrunken down. Our lives are poultry, empty shells of the people we're supposed to be. We live lives that are trivial, that are vain, that are focused on material things, that are, that are focused on ourselves. So the good news has to go beyond forgiveness. It has to go to our restoration, getting back what belongs to us.
The Sermon on the Mount describes a life that has always been our birthright. A life without fear, without anxiety, without jealousy, without ego, without vanity, without darkness. It is a life of peace, of grace, of forgiveness, of integrity, of honesty, of generosity. This is our life that we're supposed to have. We need to know this, folks. We need to know this. The, the Sermon on the Mount is not an imposition of, a, of an alien standard on us that we're struggling to live up to. It's not supposed to be a hard slog. No, the Sermon on the Mount is a call to remembrance. Somewhere buried deep inside this tribe of beings known as humans, somewhere deep inside of us, something stirs when we hear the Sermon on the Mount, something that says, hey, wait, uh, that sounds familiar. I know that. I don't know how I know it, but I know that thing. It, it's like an instrument that you haven't picked up in decades, and you grab it. I play the guitar. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, this feels right, right? I remember some things. It's coming back to me. Becoming, what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, is a recovery of what we have lost. It, it's, it's, it's that feeling of, hey, 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 everything's right, everything fits. In fact, what I'm becoming is who I'm supposed to be all along. In this broken world where everything feels awkward, everything feels difficult, everything feels weird and wrong, Sermon on the Mount is a call to come home. But you need to make a decision. You see, we are... We're born into a broken world. And if we don't do anything, we stay in this broken world. And we are shaped by this broken world. And we become whatever this broken world tells us to become. It takes an intentional act of the will to join the kingdom. You don't just join the kingdom because you're born into a Christian family. Or you show up at church regularly. The kingdom is not something you drift into. It requires intentionality. It requires a choice. It requires a decision. So here we are. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, the very end of Jesus' gospel presentation. So it's time for a decision. Let me say this as clearly as I can. This is to those of you who are not yet Christ followers, to those who've been following Jesus for decades. Is this who we want to become? Jesus describes a life that images God. Is that what you want? Jesus described a life that is restored to its fullness. Is that what you want? Jesus describes a life that is without the dark impulses of this world, but rather is steeped and infused by the power of God. Is that what you want? Do you want this? The question you need to ask yourself. I have a simple assignment for you today. We have communion coming up. You have some time. Read this through. If you don't have a copy, grab one on the way out. Read this through today. Think about it. Pray about it. If that's what you want, put your name down here. Sign it. Put a date on it. Make that decision. And then this is important. Put this somewhere you can see it. Put it on, on your 
bathroom mirror, put it on your nightstand, someplace where every day you look at this and you go, oh yeah, as a Christ follower, this is who I'm becoming. Let me pray for us. Father, we first want to thank you that you do not leave us in this broken world. You do not give up on us, but you said you pursue us, you chase us. You come all the way down here to die for us so that we can have the chance to not only be forgiven, not only be reconciled, but also to be restored. And so we thank you, Jesus, for this vision of a restored humanity, this vision of what it can be, what life can be for us. There's so many parts of us that we got, ah, it's so dark. I wish I'm not so petty. I wish I'm not jealous. I wish I'm not full of anxiety and fear. We want your life in us, Father. We yearn for that existence. So, Father, help us. We want you. We choose you. In Jesus' name we pray.